Yeah. Well, good morning, everyone. You hear me okay? Oh, good. Yeah, this is working. Thank you. Um, this is the, uh, the workshop or the breakout session on relational conflict, getting uh, to the heart of relational conflict. And I believe on your, in your binder or your book, it'll be on page 38, the outline. Page 38. I was looking at it and looks like they didn't quite leave as much room as I wanted between spaces, but it'll do. Page 38. <clears throat> now, in this workshop, I want to share with you one major insight. Just, it's just going to share with you one key insight. But this key insight opens up a world of understanding concerning the source of relational conflict. Now, interpersonal conflict concerns all of us, right? Concerns all of us because wherever two or more people gather together for any length of time, what's there going to be? Eventually, there's going to be some kind of conflict that's going to take place. Now, that could, take, that could be in the home. Uh, that could be at work. That could be at school. That could be between neighbors. It could be even in the church, right? Any committees, uh, boards or so on, any group function at all. Life is filled with conflict. We, we can't escape them completely. In fact, even good relationships aren't going to be immune from relational conflicts. Now, let me ask you a question. Why is that? Why is it that we're always going to be in conflict? Even good relationships will have conflicts. Why? Why? See, that's why I'd rather be in a classroom. I don't know why they put me here. I thought uh, there was, they said it was going to be a bigger class, but uh, I'd like to just have a little bit of interaction. Why will, is it inevitable to have conflict? We go our own way. We're, we're sinners, right? We're sinners. We're born sinners. We're selfish. We're self-centered. We're prideful. And that's all it's going to take to set the stage for conflict. Now, that being said, let me also quickly add something else to this. While we cannot escape completely from relational conflicts, we can minimize them. And we can resolve most of them. And Can you go to that? Okay. Yeah, we can't. Uh, uh, we can't. Uh, we can minimize them, and we can solve most of them. And one way we can do this is by understanding the dynamic involved in many of our interpersonal. Conflicts, and this is a this is a dynamic that many people, even many Christians, are not fully aware of. They're blind to. And that's the primary goal of this workshop: to help in understanding that dynamic that's involved in many of our conflicts, and hopefully, help you be better equipped to counsel others in this uh, area of conflict resolution. So let's begin by answering the question. Uh, Roman numeral one in your outline, what is at the heart of relational conflict? What's at the heart of it? What's the source, the cause of it? Why do so many uh, married couples fight and argue? Why is there so much clashing, be clashing uh, between parents and teens? Why is it that whenever you can get two groups of people together for any period of time, strife and discords is inevitable? 
And as I said, that could be at school, that could be on church boards, the committees, music groups, sports teams, and on and on we go. What's at the heart of the problem? Now, if I were to take a, take a poll and ask that question of people in general, most people would say is that we have poor communication skills. Poor communication skills. Now, while the Bible has a lot to say about proper and improper communication, what's proper and improper, that's really not getting to the heart of the problem, is it? Number one in your outline, the root of the problem is conflicting desires. The root of the problem is conflicting desires. A major cause of relational conflict is conflicting desires. Um, in our, at our church on the west side, in Cornerstone Community Church on the west side, in fact, we alternate every year with this conference, uh, when we do a marriage counseling, when I do marriage counseling, um, and then you fill out a PDI. Everybody know what a PDI is? Personal data inventory. We have them fill out several pages, and they fill it out, and, and my wife and I do mostly the marriage counseling there. And uh, uh, when we ask people to describe their problem and the kind of help that they want from us, they often put down that they have a communication problem. That's one of the pro- their communication problems. And could we please teach them some communication techniques? But that's still not resolving relational conflict. It's more than simply learning proper communication. It's more than simply learning some communication uh, techniques. There's still an inner dynamic that's involved in many of our conflicts. And in your outline, James reveals the root of this, of, of this problem. Would you please open your Bibles to James chapter 4? James chapter 4. You there? James chapter 4. Look at what James writes in verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, that's the question we want answered, right? That's the question. It's the question that married couples need to ask themselves when they're quarreling and fighting. And he gives a very clear answer, doesn't he, in the last half of that verse. You see it? Last half of verse 1, four one, Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your passions are at war within you. In other words, James says that the problem is within us. It's within us. Our struggles with others actually begins within us, in our own hearts, the inner person. And this is the opposite of what we naturally think. When counselees come to you, uh, marriage conflict in marriage, and they come to you, and 90% of them have conflict when they come to you, they naturally think it's the other problem. Well, what's the problem? She this, and she that. He this, and he that. Just like he was saying there, get the log out of your own eye first. In fact, that's where I usually have to start is, okay, why don't you give me a list of how you personally contributed to the downfall of this marriage? 
They don't think in terms of themselves, only what she's doing or what he's doing. So we like to blame others, or we blame circumstances, don't we? But James is saying here, don't blame someone else, and don't blame something outside of ourselves. He says, look within. Now look at at number two on your outline. This is a fundamental principle taught by Jesus himself. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And again, in Matthew 15, 18, he says, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? The heart. Now, we're talking about the heart here. You know, we're not talking about this thing that's pumping here, right? Okay. We're talking about the inner person, the immaterial part of man. According to Jesus' words here, he said, to Jesus here, our words proceeds from our heart. The path of communication is from the inside out, is what he's saying. In other words, the starting place for all communication, whether it's godly communication or ungodly communication, is the heart. It's the inner person. This is extremely insightful, isn't it? This is probably the single greatest insight about man that there is. And you would think that because it came from the words of Jesus Christ himself. Our heart, which is our control center, is motivated by a series of desires. And conflict between two people is often a result of conflicting desires in the heart of these two people. In other words... Other people, or circumstance, other people or circumstances do not, do not determine my behavior. They simply provide an occasion to reveal what's in my heart. That's important. Let me repeat that. Other people or circumstances do not determine my behavior. They simply provide an occasion to reveal what's in my heart. Now, James amplifies on our Lord's words here, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He amplifies these words. He pinpoints the cause of the conflict as a consuming desire that's ruling my heart. It's a consuming desire that's ruling my heart. Now, this is an important biblical concept that you have to grasp. Look again at what James writes in chapter 4. Look at the first three verses with me. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. James gives us a window here. He gives us a window of an inner dynamic that we're often blind to. Look what he says. He says, when you're in conflict, examine what? Examine your inner passions in verse 1. And at the end of verse, verse 3. 
In other words, these cravings, these inner cravings. He said, examine your inner desires in verse 2. Your wants, your, your, your longings. Examine your uh, covetousness. He says, you covet in verse 2. Now, these are very strong desires, aren't they? Envious desires, coveting. And then in verse 3, he says, examine your motives. Examine your, you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Spend it on your selfish desires. See, why we do what we do. Examine your motives. And in any relational conflict, the Bible always directs us to do what? As uh, Jim Neuheiser said, get the log out of your own eye first. And that's where we need to start, by examining the desires, the wants, and the expectations of our heart. And when I say this, don't think that this is only referring to bad or ungodly desires. I'm not referring uh, only to bad or ungodly desires. Actually, this could be a good desire that we're talking about. Many of our desires can be good, but they get out of hand. In other words, they war within us, he says. They consume us. We're obsessed with it. Now look at Roman numeral two as a visual aid. This visual aid is uh, how good desires go bad. And this is something that I utilize. I I actually, this isn't original with me, these these images. uh, A friend of mine... uh, who was had sister church uh, church uh, in our denomination years ago? He he wrote a. Uh, anybody know the Journal of Biblical Counseling? You get the Journal of Biblical Counseling that comes out and and years ago. I don't know if they, the new issues still have them, but they'd always have. Let's draw a picture. Let's draw a picture. You know, and years ago this came out and Robert Jones, um, who's now professor at Southeastern Seminary, um, had this these images that I think have been using ever since when I in marriage counseling because I could just do it on a sheet of paper or on a little chalk whiteboard or whatever and help them to see what's at the heart of their conflicts. So you can draw this on a, on a sheet of paper for the counseling. And uh, on this uh, thing here, the, the cross represents Jesus Christ, as we'll see. The throne, the chair is supposed to be a throne, that represents your heart. That's the inner person. And the letters underneath it, as we see, are going to represent, they represent your desires. Now look at figure one. Figure one, this is, Jesus is on the throne of my heart, and he's governing my words, my actions, and my behaviors. See, this represents the heart of a person here who, where Jesus reigns supreme in their life. 2 Corinthians 5.15 summarizes it like this. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. No longer live for themselves, but for him. So Jesus didn't die for us to go on living in our own vain, selfish way, right? Any longer. 
We're to live for Him. Not to live for our self-serving ambitions, our desires, and our passions. We're to turn our lives over to Him, and we're to do that in willing and glad glad, uh, devotion. Amen? Believing that He's sufficient for living a godly life with true joy, peace, and contentment. Now look at figure two. Figure two is my desires are under the control of the Lordship of Christ. You see the, uh, notice the letters underneath that throne? Christ is on the throne still. And the letters under that, the, the, the throne there, the A, B, C, D, and, and so forth, uh, represent specific de- desires that we have. And we have hundreds of them. We're, we're made that way. God made us to desire things. It's human to have desires. We're loaded with them. And they motivate us to either do right or they motivated us to, to do wrong. They could be good or they could be bad. Let me give you some examples of good desires. Okay? A wife who wants her... Because bad desires, lustful things and so on, is kind of obvious for, for all of us. But let me try to... Let's look at some... Uh, some examples of what would be good desires. A wife who wants her husband to show more affection in their marriage. That's a good desire. She wants more affection in her marriage. A man who wants peace and quiet when he comes home from work. A mother who wants her children to obey her and respect her. A young single woman who wants to meet a guy and get married. All legitimate desires, right? Nothing wrong with any of them. All legitimate desires, and we have hundreds of them like this. There's nothing sinful with these desires as long as, as long as they're under the control of the Lordship of Christ. However, conflicts arise, a conflict arises when our desires become so important to us that we're carried away by them, we're consumed by them, obsessed. And that's what figure three illustrates. Figure three, a desire takes control of my heart and dethrones the Lordship of Christ. Notice in this third figure, Jesus Christ is is no longer on the throne of my heart. You see that? He's under the throne. And you see this desire, this from A, that desire just starting out small and slithering up to the throne and knocking Christ off that throne. Number one in your notes, a good desire goes bad when it has risen to God-like proportions. When it consumes and rules your life. When you want it so badly, and here's the key, you're willing to sin to get it. In other words, that desire became an idol. It became an idol in your heart. 
Ezekiel speaks to this. Should be in your notes, number two, I believe. Uh, Ezekiel 14.3 speaks to this very thing. And here's what Ezekiel says. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. These men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. They've taken idols into their hearts who have become stumbling blocks before their faces. Before their faces. That's all they can see is this idol. That's all they can see, and it's, it's uh, hurting their view. They can't see clearly any longer. It's just consuming their view. They're obsessed with this selfish desire, and as a result of it, their sinful behavior. And God's calling them out on it through Ezekiel, the prophet. Desires have the potential of becoming idols, of working themselves deeper and deeper into our hearts. Especially if it's a desire, especially if it's something that we think we need in order to be happy and fulfilled. I need this to be happy and fulfilled. That's our world, needs, need basis. Rather than finding our joy and satisfaction in whom? Where's our joy and satisfaction come from? What's the source? Another person? Christ. You get in the picture here? As I said, this one insight opens a world of understanding concerning the source of conflict. When I was a child, I had a toy. It was called the Slinky. Did you ever have a Slinky? And uh, you'd set it at the top of the stairs, right? And you'd let it get it going down, and, and it slithered down the steps. And I remember doing it. I would, uh, I'd put it there, and then I'd, I'd get it going. But then I'd run down the steps real quick, and I'd look up, and I'd watch that thing slither down, you know? And our desires are kind of like that, but in reverse, they slither up. They slither up from the base of the throne until they dethrone Christ. This is something that can ha- happen daily, hourly. This is something we continuously need to, to put in check, don't we, what I'm, what I'm talking about here. They slither, slither up from the base of the throne until they dethrone Christ, and then that desire becomes our God, our idol. And conflict's inevitable. Let's take, for example, here's a question to throw out to you. Some questions. Let's take that wife again who wants her husband to show more affection, closeness in their, in their marriage relationship. How will that display itself as an idol in her heart? How will it display itself? How would she sin? Yeah. How would she start sinning against him? What's are some ways? Threaten him. Threaten maybe to leave him, divorce him. What else? Nitpick, criticize, nag, belittle, belittle him. Right. Punish him in some other ways. Right. Don't cook or whatever. Don't clean. Whatever. Whatever. You know. Those type of things. 
She's sinning to try to get a good desire. Now, is that right before God? No, it's not right. How about that man that wants peace and quiet when he comes home from work, but he doesn't get it? Now, how, that, how, would, how do you, some ways that would uh, display itself as an idol in his heart? Pardon me? Yeah, selfish, but how would that play itself out? What are some things he would do? Blow up, maybe, right? Yell at the wife, or if it's the kids that are causing a commotion, yell at the kids, blowing up at them. I work hard all day, right? I, when I come home, I deserve some peace and quiet. How about that mother who wants her children to obey and respect her? How would it manifest itself as an idol in her heart? Pardon me? Shout them. That's a good one. <laughs> Shout them into the smith. Scream and yell at the kids, right? And even maybe you overreact with harsh discipline, out of control discipline. There you go. That one. Then, then they hate the other kids after that. Why can't you be like cousin so-and-so? And then after that, the kid always hates cousin so-and-so. doesn't know why. That's her life, you know. How about that young single woman? She wants to meet a guy, and she wants to get married. You know any young single women that way? I've known a lot of them. They want to meet a guy and get married so badly, and they don't think they'll ever meet a guy. And then about 10 years later, when you run into them again, they met a guy that had been married for 10 years, have three kids, and they wish they weren't married anymore. But... How about her? How would it play itself out to become an idol in her heart? What would she do? Mm-hmm. Yep. She could be depressed. She could be moody. Lower her standards. Excellent. Lower her standards. Happens all the time, doesn't it? You see it in your church, probably, Wayne. Lower their Christian standards, rush into a relationship carelessly, and then she finds herself in, yes? Uh, Could resent other women. Very good. Yep, bitterness, enviness, covening another man's wife, I mean, another woman's husband. Altogether, the, the focus is wrong. Nothing with wanting to be married. God puts that in us, but the focus is too too strong. That could, that could be the case as well, and that happens at times. You know, and she can find herself in conflict with her parents, who try to warn her about this guy that she's rushing into carelessly and lowering her standards. And, of course, she'll find herself in conflict with her God, won't she, for disobedience to him. In each of those examples, they're sinning to fulfill a good desire. 
This is how you can tell if a desire has dethroned Christ and has become an idol. Well, I'm willing to sin to get it or respond in a sinful way when I don't get what I want. Notice what James says about this in chapter 1, number 3 in your outline. Turn, turn back a couple page, page or two to chapter 1. And um, look at uh, verses 14 and 15. You there? No? Yes? Yes, no? Okay. Verse 14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by the devil. Oh, oh your Bible doesn't say that? Oh, oh. It doesn't say that. Oh, I, I thought the devil made me do it. You ever hear about that joke? The devil was on a curb one day, all dejected, and somebody said, what's wrong, Satan? He says, man, I get blamed for everything. Lured and enticed by his own desire. Now, of course, the devil, you know, utilizes, he, he utilizes our desires. He's involved there. But by our own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Again, we see how the evil one tempts us by appealing to our desires. James says that we're enticed, he says, led away by our own selfish desires. In fact, we read the same thing in Genesis 3.6, number four in your outline. Genesis 3.6 says that as Eve was being tempted by the serpent, she what? She saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. The war within begins with something we desire, and the devil plays off on that. He wants it to become a demand to be obsessed with it, consumed. Something that we think we must have in order to be happy and fulfilled. More money, more possessions, more appreciation, more encouragement, more affection. Uh, I want my coach, I want to be able to play in more games instead of sitting on the bench. Type of thing. I mean, just on and on and on we go, right? Hundreds, thousands. So whatever is not cooperating with what I want, whatever stands in the way of what I want or what I believe I need to make me happy and fulfilled, what do I do? Well, I, I punish that person. I criticize, nitpick, nag, condemn, accuse, curse, get angry and bitter against them so as to get what I want. And what's the result? Conflict. That's how this works. This is the dynamic that we're talking about here. Good desires turn bad when they become demands. When they rule our actions and they rule our behavior, 
when I want them so much that I'm willing to sin in order to get them, in order to fulfill them. I mean, they look so good. They just seem so right. That we're often blind to the fact that they're controlling us. Now, what's the solution? Dethroning, Roman numeral three, dethroning ruling desires. Well, first of all, what we need to do, we need to identify these ruling desires in our heart. We need to be heart smart. And we need to, our consulees, they need to become heart smart. And not to be, see, be deceived by the wiles of the wicked one. What desires, those two bullets under number one there, what desires tend to ascend to the throne of your heart and become demands? What are the most common issues you argue about with your spouse, child, or parent? You've got to identify these conflicting desires. In Psalm 139, King David prayed, Search me, O God, know my heart, See if there be any grievous way in me. That should be our earnest prayer. Our earnest prayer should be that God will work a heart change in us. Not simply change the other person or the circumstances. So that's, it has to start there. Become heart smart. Identify ruling desires within you. And number two, then focus on pleasing God. Focus on pleasing God. This is such an important principle, biblical principle. Look at that bullet. It says, when relational conflict arises, instead of focusing on what I want or what the other person should do or not do, I will focus on pleasing God with my words, my actions, my behavior. This should be our greatest desire, right? This should be our greatest desire. It should trump all other desires to pleasing and honoring Christ with our words, our actions. That should be our greatest desire, no matter how another person is and no matter how another person acts. That's a hard thing to get across with married couples. Marriage counseling is, there's more marriage counseling than any other counseling you could put all the other together. There's more marriage. Because when relationships stink, life stinks, right? And when when they uh, and they're so complex, I remember when I, as a new pastor uh, doing marriage counseling, I was like, "Whoa, your head was spinning because there's so many complex issues there, right? So many different strands of things. It's kind of like I remember my grandmother used to knit. Uh, knit, and then that, that, and then she would, she would have a little bit of these. Uh, what's it called? Not string, or kind of string, right? What's, what's the knitting? Yarn. yarn, yarn. And whatever she had left over, she'd put it, wrap it around this ball, and then another one. And then she wrapped around. She had this big, huge ball with all these different colors in them, you know, and all these different strands in there. And that's how marriage counseling is. I kind of look at it that way. It's like, boy, you know, just big ball of string, and it's just going everywhere. And you, and you got to try to take one little string out at a time, you know to try to figure out the complex issues there that are going on. But <clears throat> when you can get, and, and, I, and I would be dealing with all these different fruit issues in their life, and I never got to the root. You know, 
until I st uh, uh, started taking training. I got this training in uh, neuthetic counseling and biblical counseling. And all of a sudden, it's like, get to the root of the problem, Armin, or to take care of 15, 20 fruit. And I've had much more success that way. And, um, and this, this, is, this is major, pleasing and honoring God, no matter how my wife is, no matter how my husband is, how my children are, how my parents are, I'm going to please and honor God with how I respond, how I am. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, be, yeah, deeds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, or deeds, yeah. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah, thanks. I wrote that in there for next time. So that's the question. How... Can I please and honor God in this situation? And it's hard sometimes. I mean, we did, one of the last married couples we did, um, the wife had a lot of idols. She had a lot of she, good things, good things she wanted from her husband. Um, but she was so consumed with them, you know, and, um, and she, the way she would, she would be sinning to try to get them and trying to get her, it took it took a while with her to get this idea of, I still have to please God in my own life, no matter how my husband is, is or isn't, you know. I have to please God. And it took her a while. She was a, she was a hard one to get to because it just seemed so right. I, I need this. We need this. The world teaches you this. These are needs I need to be happy. And finally it penetrated, and they just remember they came back the next week. Uh, uh, we always gave homework, and, and it's like, it was almost like the demons were cast out. It was, it was, it was just how they uh, were, um, uh, their relationship, how it just was coming together, and so on. Re resolving conflicts always starts with the desire to want to please God, getting the log out of my own eye first. The question is, what's sitting on the throne? Is my greatest desire and joy and satisfaction found in a relationship with Christ, or is it found with something else that's ruling my heart? And number three, to help identify ruling desires, ask yourself some questions. Now, this is from, this is from my book here, uh, this book here. In fact, they have some, some of them here. Uh, transformed into his likeness, that it will help you. It, it, this, this helps you, I mean, not just this section, this is a small section, but there's a whole section in here, help you get to heart issues in your life or help you constantly get to heart issues uh, in their life. And this is one, one part of it here where it says, what is ruling my heart that is influencing my behavior and emotions? You know, contemplate that. What am I longing for? What am I craving? What am I expecting? You know, I just want some peace and quiet. I want my husband to show more affection and closeness. What is my source of refuge, comfort, pleasure, and security? What do I want that I am not getting? What am I getting that I do not want? How and why am I responding to what I am getting 
what I am not getting? What am I fearing or worrying about? And then complete this statement, if only, blank, if only my husband would love me, if only I had a husband, if only I can get married, then I would be happy and fulfilled. That will help you to get and help a constantly to get questions like these to get to, the, to, to their desires that have consumed them. Listen, I would like for my wife to admire me. If I would like for my wife to admire me, but she doesn't admire me, I'd be disappointed, wouldn't you? If I would like for my wife to admire me, but she does, respecting I admire, but she doesn't, I'd be disappointed. But if I need my wife to admire and respect me, and she doesn't, I'd be crushed. The difference between being disappointed and being crushed has nothing to do with my wife. It has everything to do with me. How strongly I believe I need her uh, her admiration and respect to be happy and fulfilled. And then number four. Place the desire under the Lordship of Christ. Place it under the Lordship of Christ. And, of course, you'd have to repent, as Jim Neuheiser mentioned. Repent and ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness from God for allowing that desire to become sinful. Dethroning Christ. You know, here's an example of what this can sound like. Uh, Repenting and ask for forgiveness. Heavenly Father, I know that yelling at my boys for their behavior in their uncut room is wrong and sinful. It comes from my own selfish heart. I want them to obey me and clean their room, not because it's honoring to you, but because it's convenient for me. I want my peace and quiet. Please forgive me for making my peace and quiet an idol of my heart. So you want to ask forgiveness of God and then ask forgiveness of others if you've outwardly sinned against them in some way, you know, angry, hurtful words, and so on. It has to begin there. And then that second bullet, prayerfully resubmit the ruling desire to the Lordship of Christ. Prayerfully resubmit it to the the Lordship of Christ. And then pursue a good desire in a God-honoring way. Pursue it in a God-honoring way, not in a sinful way. For example, that mother may want to work with uh, uh, her son, their son's rough behavior or develop a, a, a bedroom cleaning plan or something. Make a game out of it, whatever. Try to think through a solution in a God-honoring way. You know, seek a reasonable solution to the conflict, if it's possible. It's not always possible, but if it's possible. If someone's hindering your pursuit of a good desire, learn how to approach that person in a God-honoring way. And also, another thing to keep in mind, and this is very important, a large part of life and living for Jesus 
is learning how to live contently, right? Learning how to live contently with ongoing unmet desires. They're not, we're not, they're not going to all be met in this world. We live in a fallen world. And the Holy Spirit can enable us to do this, to live contently, contentedly with unmet desires. We always need to remember that last bullet, your highest desire is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the one key insight that I wanted to bring across in this, uh, this, this breakout session. Um, and I think you can see how if, you were, if it was something that you weren't quite, never understood before that inner dynamic, or maybe you have your little fuzzy on it, I think you can see it opens up a world of understanding, doesn't it? Very thought-provoking. And I have some recommended resources that will even carry us further. The Peacemaker, which um, uh, by Ken Sandy, the Peacemaker, which um, Jim Neuheiser also mentioned, especially Chapter 5. And as a matter of fact, Chapter 5, you can actually print out. He has it at the Peacemaker. I can't remember the, the website for the Peacemaker. But you've got to be careful. There's two Peacemakers. You've got to make sure you go to the one for Ken Sandy's. Um, and they, you can actually get Chapter 5 printed out. They give it to you, and I have it as a document in my computer. And what we do when I explain this to people, uh, uh, to a couple in front of me, I'll give them, I'll print that out for them, and I'll give them that as homework. Because he goes, says the same thing, but in a little bit of a different way he goes about it. And uh, to just drive that thought, this, this insight of what's going on in their heart, uh, home to them. But that's an excellent book. Pursuing Peace is another one by Bob Jones, I, the fellow that I got the crown, the throne uh, images from. Uh, he recently came out with a book called Pursuing Peace, A Christian Guide to Handling Our Conflicts. And, um, and, and, uh, and then in that, he, it's an excellent book. Anything Robert Jones does is very good and very practical. But he actually has a chapter now on uh, that workshop that he teaches in that book, in his, this new book here of his. Um, your Family, God's Way, um, Communication, Your Family's God's Way by Wayne Mack is uh, excellent. Um, not so much getting the heart issues as the other two books, but it's excellent as far as uh, he gives you a lot of... Uh, what does he call them again? Uh, communication bugs, he calls them, and good communication and imp- proper communication, improper communication. He does a lot from Proverbs. Proverbs has a lot to say about communication, you know, and he takes a lot from there. But one thing about Wayne Mack, he's very practical. He gives a lot of practical uh, uh, ways that you can ex- uh, express things or say things. A lot of times, some, you know, I mean, I'm not, we're not against they got pro-communication skills. We're not against learning some communication techniques. We're not against that. It just doesn't get to the higher the issue. You can teach them that, but they need to get to the higher the issue first. Now we can go with the proper and improper communication techniques, and this book will help you a lot. And then War of Words is another one, Paul Tripp. He, he gets deeply as well into heart issues throughout that whole book. He's, that's a, he's a hard hitter, Paul Tripp. <laughs> Paul Tripp's a hard hitter, so prepare yourself when you read that one. Uh, 
All right, that's, uh, that's it. That's it. Any, any comments or any questions? What time do we, what time is this over? Is this over? Because I see people out there. Oh, okay. Any comments, any questions? If not, I'll pray and let you go. And I think you could probably, if that, I don't know if it's, there's a workshop in there. I think there's a workshop. All right. I, you can look at the uh, resources that are over there as well. Let's pray. How we thank you, O Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for that window that, uh, that James uh, gives us into the heart, that inner dynamic that takes place in relational conflict that we're often blind to. We thank you for the practicality of it. We thank you, O Lord, that it gives us a whole dimension that um, we need to consider in our own hearts and as well as counseling others who are in relational conflict. So we give you the thanks. We give you the honor. We continue to pray for this conference uh, that you will use it for its intended purpose in our lives. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.